We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company coming at you Thursday afternoon, late morning. It's June 8th. I'm joined by Burt Robson today. We watched game three of the finals last night, and we'll get into that kind of in the second half of this episode. But I have a few Wolves specific topics that I want to run by Brit that I've kind of been thinking about lately, having spent a little bit more time over the last couple of weeks thinking about this roster within the context of the salary cap and and moving forward. And Britt, as I sent you, I think two pieces of this roster for me that I've kind of been brushing over or not thinking about them as part of the team and kind of core are Kyle Anderson and Mike Conley because they are under contract for this season. But both Anderson and Conley have just this one season left on their contract before they become free agents in 2024. We know that's when the Wolves roster is kind of going to get close to prohibitively expensive with Cats Supermax kicking in. Edwards and McDaniels contract extensions will kick in also for that 24 season. So we, we can get into some maybe salary cap specifics on that later. But we do know that if this roster for 2024 was Towns, Gobert, Edwards, McDaniels and 11 minimum contracts, the team would not only be over the salary cap, but also into the luxury tax, which kind of brought me to the realization. What was that? Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. It just goes to show you that probably not a good idea to invest like $80 million in centers. (laughs) That is, we could just stop the podcast here, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, don't want to get too negative. Yeah. But not at the minute 46 (laughs) mark. Yeah. Um, I guess, I, so I do that. <laughs> uh, I guess we do that. But I, it it brought me to the realization that this upcoming season is likely the last season Mike Conley and Kyle Anderson play for the Wolves, unless, you know, uh, some sort of pretty major cost-cutting move is made to trade probably one of Townsend Gobert in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months or whatever it might be. Um, and... That I, I guess I thought Conley's days were somewhat numbered, right? Because he's 36 years old. But Anderson was the one that really stood out to me and seems pretty 
like that will really be felt if they miss him. And that one would really suck because he's only 29 years old right now, meaning he'll be 30 a summer from now. Not like the point where you're like, okay, time to kind of put him out to pasture. Like, right. you know, no offense to Mike, but he's getting up there. Right. Um, so just given how important he was that I'm kind of stuck on, on that part of this and what the wolves will miss. Um, if Kyle Anderson is not a part of this team beyond this season, obviously, I know we've talked about Kyle a bunch over the course of the past season, but what is just kind of the idea of building this roster out going forward to you without Kyle and, or Mike in it mean, mean to you in your head as you picture this team attempting to grow moving forward? I think it's depressing. Yeah. Uh, I think that, first of all, I internally, if I was playing GM, I imagine signing Conley to another two-year deal after this one was over, uh, just because I think his locker room presence and the fact that he has an old man game, has always had an old man game, uh, he could sustain, if Chris Paul can sustain, you know, if Kyle Lowry can sustain, then certainly Mike Conley can sustain. Um, he's also a lot more flexible than most point guards. Uh, he averaged over eight times a game in Utah. He came here, he averaged like five because that was what the situation called for. Mm-hmm. Um, his defense and rebounding are underrated Uh, especially for somebody his size. Um, So, yeah, I was thinking, you know, no, he's not going to get 25 again or 29 again. Mm -hmm. But um, I was thinking, you know, somewhere in the, you know, 12 to 18 a year range for a couple of years uh, in a perfect world. Obviously, that sounds to me, you know, I don't have the salary cap knowledge you do, and I know you're going to break it down a little bit further later on. But the idea that Conley is prohibitive is a uh, is a, a depressing, you know, thought stopper. More than Anderson? I, well, no, because then <laughs> you say, "All right, you got to get rid of Conley. That's a lot of money." Um, Conley Anderson has been Chris Finch's safety blanket even before he stepped on the court. When I interviewed him preseason last year and I said Kyle Anderson is going to be really important just the way he said very back to me yeah he already just the tone of voice you know you hear somebody say something and you just know Finch had bookmarked Kyle Anderson being one of the key players on the team like from the moment they got him they were looking to get him before they even completed the Gobert deal so it wasn't an adjunct um, and it turned out that Kyle delivered pretty much anything anybody wanted from him. Right. He wants to be a, regarded as a point guard like figure. He played that role far more for the Wolves than any other time in his career, mostly thrived on it. Uh, what was great about him was he, he and Conley both did not have to stay in their role if it was crucial that they didn't. I mean, when slow-mo was on the ball, exclusively on the ball, he often operated at the nail or at the top of the key, uh, just getting inside. He was great against zones. He was great against uh, traps when uh, Ant would get, you know, doubled. 
Um, he's just, he's really good in transition, although he himself is not a great runner. He looks ahead on the court a lot. Um, and, you know, while his defense wasn't quite as good as it was in systems like Memphis's and stuff, uh, where they play a little bit more congruent to his skill set, uh, I thought his defense, when necessary, was above average. Um, but the bottom line really is that understanding that it will be a very different team two years from now compared to last season yeah. in terms of its maturity overall. But Kyle Anderson was the adult in the room that when the team was falling apart, which the Wolves tended to do very frequently, especially when D'Lo was still on the team, um, they turned the ball over and didn't get back in transition. That, if you wanted to sum up the Wolves' biggest failure in a sentence, it was they would get into these clusters where they would turn the ball over and then surrender points in transition, which isn't necessarily all that uncommon in the NBA, but, you know, in the modern NBA, but they did it really poorly. And the fact that they oftentimes had two bigs out there, or in any case, slow teams without really good recognition of cross matches on the fly, whatever you want to say about it, um, they broke down mentally as well as physically. And slow-mo would be the guy when Finch would finally call timeout. Uh, where they would essentially come out and slow-mo would run a play where he had options and he would choose the right option. Sometimes it was, you know, the boulder. Sometimes it was the, uh, you know, dish to the corner. Sometimes it was a pocket pick and roll. Uh, but he has a lot in his bag. He knows how to use it. And by the way, I mean, you know, the Gobert punch aside, He's been a great locker room guy and was somebody who tried to light a fire under his team frequently last season. And the Wolves needed guys like that. Even when Conley came and was like the sensi, you know, the guy, the, the sage in the locker room, you still, it's good to have a guy who's a rah-rah guy who just gets on people. Um, so, yeah, if you don't have either one of those two things, first of all, you just say, all right, who the hell is going to play point guard? Right. You know, J Mac. Let me let me Dolph. do let me do a, a respond to the Kyle thing. All right, for, first there because I think that's I was going through some numbers yesterday looking at this and and when you you talk about that I don't even know what the term is where that where they would really crumble right like that yeah. and you talked about the beginning of the season that happened with D'Lo a lot uh, was on the floor but really it was it was also when Rudy was out there right there would just be these right. times where honestly just the offense would would just completely stall out. And looking at Rudy through the lens of Kyle, that's what prevented those Rudy, when Rudy was on the floor, things really falling apart. Offensively. Really good point. Really good point. I mean, are you going to give me uh, Go Bears plus minus with Kyle versus everybody else? Yeah, well, I, I just I don't have versus I don't have versus everybody else, but I just looked it up. Rudy with Kyle on the floor, net rating of plus six point five which is about what Boston was, where the best point differential in the league. And then when Rudy was on the floor without Kyle, they were minus 5.9, which is about the same as Charlotte, who was the number 27 team in the league. And, and it's, it's a 12-point swing. 
Yeah, huge. I mean, it's that. Yeah, that in of itself is is a huge difference. But it's for the reasons that that you talked about. It's they turn the ball over so much less when Kyle was on the floor with Rudy versus when Rudy was out there without him. They they shot the ball better. They did get back uh, in in transition more often. They were more effective in in their half court game. Kind of all the times when you best saw the Wolves' identity or a Wolves identity that included Rudy Gobert, it was when Kyle Anderson was on the floor for this team. And when you, again, put that into the idea that he might not, likely won't be here a year from now, given the financial prohibitive things that this team has, it makes me concerned about how frequently the bottom will, would fall out for this team at, at that stage of time. And now, to, you know, to play both sides of it, to be fair, I think so much of that had to do with Kyle being such a veteran presence, having played on winning teams, those sort of things. So optimistically, right, maybe you're like a season from now, you have Ant another year more mature, Carl, Jaden, everybody, you're more mature. Maybe you don't need those veteran presences of Kyle and or Mike as much. But personally, I think you will. I think those will still feel like needs and you will seriously feel that absence um, if they're gone. I mean, Kyle just plugged holes for this team last season and and did so in a pretty profound, not just like a role player, he plug roles ways, but like he felt like an impact starter. And his wasn't he like third on the team in minutes? It seems like I, I don't know exactly what it was, but it, I know he was relatively healthy. And I know he did that miss some, he, he missed a lot of games, though. He had those back spasms and stuff like I, I, I would bet you that he's top five in minutes and maybe more. Hmm. Maybe yeah. he's top four. Um, anyway, the, the point being that fourth. Yep. Yeah. And okay. Jaden, Rudy, Kyle, D'Lo, sixth was Jalen Noel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, but Aunt Jalen, Jaden, and Rudy, yeah. uh, and Conley—you know—that whole Conley slash Delo is a role, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that um, it's a compounding error. That's the problem. If you lose one, the other one becomes extremely important. If you lose both, you don't have a goddamn playmaker. I mean. <laughs> We can get back to this whole idea that you and I have toyed with that we believe in more than Chris Finch does and probably more than the front office does, that Anthony Edwards can be a a Tatum, George-like figure. You would even go so far maybe to say a Luca-like figure that can be a mid-30s, high-30s usage guy that gets close to double-figures assists in games. If that were to happen, the team, A, would look extremely different. The relationship between Aunt Rudy would be like a 180-degree turn, and it would be a solution. But if that admittedly very risky hope did not materialize, then... You know, I looked at Nas' numbers as a backup point guard. You know, basketball reference only had him playing the 0.5% of his minutes Hmm. for this team. I think it was more. 
you know, they sometimes get bound up in lines. But the bottom line still is he's a rudimentary point guard. He's like uh, he's a Dustin Robinson point guard. He's a, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy that you, you stick at the point because he's one of the guys who's going to be playing the one or the two on defense, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so they would have to find something. And well, that's the thing, know, right? Like if you even did move it down to, again, take the core four that fills up a yeah. whole salary cap in 2024, right, 25, right. that's still Which only four. The point guard. Yeah. But <laughs> it's like, even if Ant does work in the Jodge, right. the Jod Tatum, Luca, whatever type role, Right. You still have a fifth hole in your starting lineup. And for that season, 24, 25, the only players outside of that core four that you have under contract are Wendell Moore Jr. and and Josh Minot. And, you know, I think optimistically, right, you'd be like, well, maybe Josh Minot can do that. Or maybe Wendell Moore can develop and, and be in the rotation and fill that some. But it's those aren't bankable things either for a year out from now. And so you're going to have a hole one way or other. You just don't have enough players. I mean, they just don't have enough players to fill it out kind of irregardless of position, though the position that Anderson and Conley play or hold or role they hold is that playmaker. And you would fall down to just one playmaker if both of them were to leave the team and just being and. Right. And, and of course, Cat would beg to differ. You know, I mean, I, I, one of the things you have to include in this conversation, whether you like it or not, um, is that Cat's assists per 36 minutes, J-Mac was first, D-Lo was second, Slow-Mo was third, Conley was fourth, Cat was fifth, ahead of Ant. Um, and obviously for reasons of Ant having the ball more, Cat's assist-to-turnover ratio was also much better. Uh but Cat averaged 5.3 dimes per 36 minutes. Um, if you're talking about how you would compensate, um, I think it's extremely risky. But if you're going to pay somebody $50 million and you're trying to bring value and also you're trying yeah. to make Cat happy, then you have to consider ways in which Finch's offense would include a role of Cat as playmaker, talk him into being not a replica of Jokic, but a echo of a Jokic, maybe more like a Bam, you know, uh, a guy that can pick and facilitate, uh, pop and then draw defenders on the pop and hit the cutter or whatever, you know, but there are ways I think in which cat can become more of a playmaker on this team. The problem of course, is that whenever cat falls in love with something too much, he doesn't retain the perspective necessary to regulate it at its optimal form. Mm -hmm. And so even if cat got to be really good at this, um, you'd have to watch him to make sure that it wasn't overplayed, you know, sure. that he wasn't getting into the sling passes and the over-the-shoulder no-looks that, you know, look great on Sports Center, but quite frankly, the batting average on them is not fantastic. Uh, so 
but that's that's a, an option you'd have to consider as you say i mean what we're looking at is four guys putting you in the luxury um it's not going to be rudy gobert we know that uh and i mean maybe a little bit more from Jaden. But not a lot more. Yeah. Because Jaden already is doing some pretty interesting things off the bounce that unless you're gonna, you know, put Jaden's usage level, I think Jaden's usage level right now is pretty good given everybody else on the court. Yeah. If you put him you put his usage over twenty, um, you know, that's you know, there's I guess there's a there's a way for that to happen, but it he, what we're talking about, I think, at the end of the day, is if we if there's no way out. I mean, my my solution is uh, Lori and Arod have to be responsible for their uh, overindulgence in big splashes and pay the piper. But I don't even know if that is literally possible under the salary cap. That would be my first option. You made this damn deal. Now pay for it. The other one is that you have to think about trading cat, which you get back to before he gets into 50 million. See if the Jonte Murray for cat straight up is something that the Hawks are interested in or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. But if you tilted the roster construction a little bit, um, then if you had a DeJounte Murray, and I just threw that out, I'm not even sure exactly what he's paid, but um, that would ease the burden of losing those two guys. Sure. Uh, and you might even be able to, you know, get a, a pick thrown in mm. for with Cat and Murray. I don't know. I mean, I don't know where, where everybody stands on that kind of stuff. But my first two options are pay it if you can get, if you can, no, I mean, I'm not talking about affording to pay it. I'm saying you know more about the salary cap rules, especially under the new CBA now than I do. And I don't know if you could even get away with structuring things so that you wind up heavily in the luxury tax, but have your guys intact for the remainder of Gold Bears four years, three to go now. Um, but that or make a deal that involves one of those four cat being the most likely option in terms of value. Mm -hmm. And it would have to happen obviously before his 50 kicks in or, you know, beginning to explore lesser appetizing solutions, like more reliance on it, more reliance on cat as half court playmakers. Let, let's get into the, the luxury tax element of it and the, the new CBA, which does make this more prohibitive than just needing to pay the piper. Take our first break here. Come back and I'll, I'll jump right into that. Uh, we'll be back with Britt here in a minute. Today's show is brought to you by the Genesis Company. As an entrepreneur, do you envision your innovative products on retail shelves? If that is you, then listen up. The Genesis Company is your guide to retail triumph. Their expert team has aided over 300 brands generate more than $3 billion in retail sales, and is dedicated to transforming your dreams into reality. The Genesis Company amplifies your brand's potential by leveraging advanced marketing strategies and the latest technology. They specialize in extending direct-to-customer brands into mass retail and enhancing retail brands, DTC, or Amazon presence. But they offer more than just marketing. From retail consulting, packaging, and sales strategies to operations, financing, and supply chain management, they provide a comprehensive end-to-end -end solution. 
And here's the best part. The Genesis company is invested in your success. They're not just a service provider. They're your partner in growth. When your brand wins, they win too. If you're ready for the next level, contact them today at grow at the Let's scale your brand together. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks, and I have four prize picks for game four of the NBA Finals that I think you might like over at prizepicks.com or on the Prize Picks app. I'm kind of creating this card off of I think Miami puts more attention on Jamal Murray in game four, and the scoring and stats are distributed in a different way because of that. So I'm going to say Jamal Murray scores less than 25 and a half points, which is his number set for game four at Prize Picks. Um, and then along those lines, I'm going to say Contavious Caldwell-Pope scores more than seven and a half points in game four, and that Aaron Gordon has more than 21 and a half points plus rebounds plus assists in that game. And then just to round out the card, I was looking for a fourth one, and I was trying to find something else, but I just like Nikola Jokic more than 10 assists there too. So those are my four picks for game four on prizepicks.com or on the Prize Picks app. Uh, if you'd like to join Prize Picks, you can... Sign up using uh, the promo code Dane, and they will give you a $100 sign-up bonus. Again, that's promo code Dane at prizepicks.com or on the Prize Picks app. All right, we're back with Britt Robson. Um, I want to respond to a, a couple of those things. Just first, I, I liked with the I liked you brought up the cap point, um, and I think there is a different. Like I think he is a place to go if you lose Anderson and Conley for more playmaking. I think there's a difference between playmaking and initiation. And that's what Jokic is so special in that he can do both. He can initiate right. and playmake. And if Kat is an echo of Jokic, which I think is about as far as he can go down that line, to use your term, uh, I think what that actually means is he is a playmaker and not an initiator. He is he's not both of those things, which leads us to something you know something else needs to happen you do not going to have enough playmaking in this group and initiation right. from just ant um which again leads you to needing to explore changing the roster in terms of how it's fiscally put together and the biggest the biggest thing i could tell people about this new cba and the luxury tax and i think this is like a, actually from the owner's perspective like a stroke of brilliance and that this it, is it, why we did it right well it, it's it's that they no longer fairly can no longer be condemned for going into the luxury tax or high, particularly high into the luxury tax on the basis of being cheap that excuse doesn't work anymore or it doesn't work to the extent it did before because now there are penalties for the team and roster construction once you're in the luxury tax that were not there were very small ones right like your mid-level right. exception went from twelve million to seven million. Like the, the yeah, tax year three or four in the luxury tax was when things really got hurtful before. Exactly, and now it's just if you're up there, if you're it's the line is like seventeen and a half uh, above the luxury tax. I mean that is going to be a hard cap because they are they are dropping the hammer in terms of shutting down your ability to expand your roster if you're that high. The way they're trying to stop teams from doing what the Clippers and Warriors have been doing, which is putting a team together, even home growing it, but then because you're so rich, building that team with by spending more, trading out $25 million for $32 million, saying, we don't care, spend, spend, spend. There are now prohibitive measures put in place, taking away your middle of the exception, not being able to aggregate players 
in in trades to to do that, taking away uh, the ability to trade draft picks well down the line. Not again, not having that the mid level exception. There's a there's a list of those sort of things. So that line is prohibitive from a roster construction standpoint and will be largely viewed as a hard cap uh, for this team. And it's not just about Laurie and A-Rod or any other owner's willingness to spend into the tax. It's about how it impacts your GM, right? Before the GM was just like, please just spend in the luxury tax. That gives me more opportunities to go. It's the antithesis of that now uh, in many ways. And that's what's important to contextualize in this when people are hearing us say, oh, yeah, you have these four guys and the uh, 11 minimum contracts in your luxury tax. Well, God damn it, you know, pay the luxury tax to bring back Kyle Anderson, who, as we just ran through the numbers, is extremely important to making this whole thing work. Well, if you do that, you're screwed in terms of your ability to add anything to your roster going forward. And I think one thing we know about the Wolves is over the next two to three, four years down the road is they need to add. And so right. that's where we start talking about that hard cap being real uh, for the Wolves and their ability to to be able to to spend going forward. So just to like, you know, I guess run through a couple of the numbers here for 24-25. This isn't for this right. season. Uh, this season they can, you know, they are, they're over the cap right now to 11 players, but they can, you know, bring back one or two of Nas and Nikhil and use the mid-level. Like, you can do that. But the reason you might not do that is because it can't be for multiple years, given how expensive it's going to be a year down the line. Does that make sense? Yeah. But how does the system work by which you say it's going to be expensive so we can't do it? Um, In other words, does it prevent you from giving full value to both Ant and and McDaniels if you do that? Or is it something where, um, I mean, I'm baking in, I'm baking in that those are givens, right? These are the four things I'm baking in that are givens of those four players. And it's Rudy is going to be making, he's making 30.6% of the the cap this season, that $41 million. And it elevates up to 43.8 million uh, the next year with, happens to also be 30.6% of the cap. So think about Rudy's 31% of the cap. Carl is locked in 35% of the cap. Ant is 25% of the cap, given his max, potentially 30 if he makes all NBA, but we'll say 25 for now to be conservative. And then I'm putting Jaden McDaniels at 17% of the cap because that's what Mikael Bridges signed for two years ago. Again, years ago, Mikael Bridges, I think that's kind of like a five-year... $125 $125 million contract for him. I think that's yeah. a, a reasonable that's number. Realistic. Right. So, so just, so just from those four for 20, those four things coming in, that is about 108% of the salary cap. That's nothing else. You're over the cap just in those four right. things. And again, it right. could get even more expensive. Ant could be making, right. could right. make all NBA next year. I think that's a kind of like a 50, 50 proposition. So right. you're you're already right. You're already well over the cap just to those four players. You add more and Minot, they're basically minimum contracts, and then you throw in nine more minimum contracts, and you are now over the over the luxury tax line, which is 121% of the cap. Okay. So if you re-sign Nas and Nah, what you're saying is is that 
Um, you are already in that terrain where they're telling you you can't do the mid-level next year or you can't do something else. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, basically, they start cutting off options yep. um, beyond that so that uh, you're left with an aging Rudy Gobert and, um, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of filler. I mean, here, I'll just I'll put it in. I'll put it in right now. Let's say Nas signs for Let's 12 say he million. Gets, uh, 12. Yep, that's 9% of the cap. Let's say Nikhil Alexander-Walker signs for multiple years at about $7 million. That's 5% of the cap. You are now, at that point, at two, six players. You're at 121% of the cap, which is the luxury tax line. Now you have to fill the rest of the roster out at minimums, and you are you're within spitting distance of that that second apron line, which is, is, is the hard cap there. It is preventative to be able to do that. And again, like, yeah, yes. Like you could do that. If you want to round your whole roster out with minimums, that's, you know, a questionable tactic to, to start with. But again, you got to remember, it's not just Nas and not you specifically, but people, it's not just right. Nas and Nas. You have, now you have no Conley in this, this context. You have no Anderson in this context. You have no, no Prince, none, none of those other guys. So it's, like, can you choose like a thing or two and get all the way up to that prohibitive, prohibitive second apron hard cap line? Yes, but is that enough? I, I, I don't, I, I don't think so. And you know, the numbers could again, Ant could be more. It could be even higher. And now you find yourself, oh shit, we did sign Nas and Nikhil, and now we're over that line, and we need to do a cost cutting move. Uh, another year down the line, or I honestly, my, I'm not putting it baking into, into my expectation of this at the 17. I think Jaden is actually going to get more than that. I, I, my, and, 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 my prediction is it's actually more than the bridges uh, in, in terms okay. of what he signed for. And, and even before you said that, what I was about to interrupt you and say is that they're going to make a hard decision on McDaniels, and it may not be one that this fan base likes. Um, it, because well, there are cheaper, lesser, but cheaper alternatives for what McDaniels does. If you don't have a goddamn playmaker, you know, then you have to punt somebody. Uh, and yes, obviously, in my book, um, I don't know what the return on trying to trade Rudy Gobert and forty million dollars worth of you know contract yeah. is in this particular Dude, market. Or, or even Cat. I mean, or even Cat too, because well, I mean, Cat obviously is going to be a lot better. I don't know how much better, right, but agreed, I know agreed. that you're going to be able to get a starter and some stuff. But you got to remember sure. the cap. All this cap stuff is also pertains to the other 29 teams so cat at 35 percent of the max also hurts portland or not hurts but like is i a, understand, a prohibitive I understand measure that. That so what i'm too. saying is what you're doing is you're trading fits mm -hmm. and this roster doesn't fit yeah. in, in other words you cannot have the financial penalty of a bad roster fit under the new cba as much as you could even just five months two months ago three months yes. ago and so the Gobert trade already somewhat problematical 
has the potential to look much worse. On the other hand, it also gives you the out to just bite the bullet mm-hmm. and say, all right. We didn't know about the CBA. Yada, a year yada, yada. and a half after, mm-hmm. you know, uh, getting a dollar and a quarter on a dollar's worth of Gobert, we're trading him for 50 cents. Yeah. You know, uh, but if you're talking about we need to be realistic about the best way to make this team work three years down the line. Um, as they've stated of like having Ant as the primary thing in your frontal lobe as you're thinking about this team going forward. Well, I mean, and they better. You know, I mean, that's, you know, I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. You know, this team has not acted that way. This team right. was forced into alpha ant this year mm-hmm. and even then um yep the conley trade was made for rudy gobert the kyle anderson signing is a rudy gobert adjacent signing mm-hmm. uh tell me the deals that the wolves have done roster wise that feature anthony edwards they would need to be starting now because they haven't happened yet <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, that, and 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 you can't make not can't, but it's so much harder to make those ant-specific moves if you're also heavily factoring in Rudy and Cat. In if you're in paying by then ninety dollars worth of ninety million dollars right. worth of set of big men, mm-hmm. you know how do you benefit Anthony Edwards if you have ninety million dollars of big men in a salary cap that requires only like thirty million dollars beyond that before you're screwed? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean you know. yeah, it's the, and I don't, I don't actually totally per, subscribe to this thinking, but like, you know, the, the nerdier analytic type of community suggests doing the exact opposite at the salary or at the center position in terms of salary, right? Like that's one of John Hollinger's main things, right? If there is a position to kind of shirk payment at, it's, it's at that sort of way. And, and, and that would make some sense in the context of Ant, right? Maybe that's a, you know, less than 10% of the cap guy, like a Nas Reed to be the center for that. Like maybe there, there's some sort of middle ground here to be well, found, we but we're examples. not there. Yeah, go ahead. In the NBA finals, we have two examples of that. Like this? Denver and Miami. Just in terms of Miami has said, we are going to go with an undersized, but very feisty center. Uh, and Denver has said, we're going to go with our 270 pound guy and a six, 10 and a half, three and a really burly physical four. And what's happened in two of the three games thus far is they've just ground the other team into yeah. dust. And that team, by the way, is very hard to grind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so if we are a copycat league, then you would say, you know, uh, for those of you who don't want any centers on this team, um, that's uh, first of all, that's not going to happen because the front office biases. But it so wouldn't be a good idea. Yeah, but I, I, I'm with you. It, it, it wouldn't okay. be a good idea. But the question is, and, and maybe this is one of those sort of things that we need to see a 50 game stretch of Cat Rue together. But the suggestion right now is that while, yes, a Cat and Rudy front court is big and you can kind of go big down the rest of the way with Jaden, Kyle, Ants, whatever. Or is that front court of Cat and Rudy 
physical grinders though or are they just big people you know like they are more finesse than grind and if you could make that work the problem with that is that rudy is in the big banger role Mm -hmm. and he's not a banger he is tough and he he obviously has fared extremely well in the paint, especially on offense, his entire career. But he does not represent... Rudy cannot crab dribble from the foul line to four feet away, turn around and just toss the ball in the basket the way we saw Jokic do a dozen times last night. Yes. I mean, that just doesn't happen. He can by the way, do that zero can't times. do that either. Yeah. yeah. Cat could do it more often, but yeah. Yeah. And so... Again, you know, you get back to you get back to what we're really talking about here is a series of unpleasant options, and they have to decide which unpleasant avenue mm-hmm. uh, involves the best twenty twenty five scenario, mm-hmm. uh, and and proceed accordingly. And I'll be honest with you; I mean, I know that I'm I'm at this point in time, probably regarded as a go bear hater, which I'm not, I'm just trying to be realistic. Uh, This team has had success using cat as a center in certain circumstances. If you have Nas also on the team, you have a template for that position that is holy as in H O L E Y. Uh, and it's certainly on defense can be suspect if your high wall fly around isn't working. For sure. I don't know how the drop works necessarily, but I also think um, you've got some fascinating pieces then. And if you can go fix some more by losing Gobert, uh, again, you know, who's the trade partner? Good question. I don't know. Right. But at least you have a 2025 look at a roster that is still fairly young all of a sudden. Yeah, Ant would be, Ant's going to be 23 in 24, 25, and 24 in 25, 26. I mean, that is still arguably well before And McDaniel's a year older, so McDaniel's would be 25. And, you know? and Cat, I, by the way, would still be, what, 31? He's 27, turning 28. So, yeah, two years from now. Yeah, 30. I mean, Rudy's age this past season, you know. Um, It's – Yeah. I I do think – and you were hinting at this a little bit earlier, too, when we talked about making moves around Rudy versus Ant. Like, and and I'd add Jaden into this. Like, Ant and Jaden, since the Gobert trade, exceeded expectations, I would argue. Right? And they are further along their development curve than we probably would have expected. You know, credit to them, credit right. to the... At the very least, McDaniel's more than Ant, but you're right. I mean, everybody kind of expected Ant to blossom. And um, and that was part of, like, part of the idea, right, or what, what they stated for, for having made the move was while it wasn't an Ant-specific move, it was going to be something that would keep Ant in competitive, at a competitive environment and expedite his growth because he was going to be in a winning environment. Well, now you can argue that Ant 
in and of himself with some reasonable surroundings is probably a winning environment, right? To the level right. that the team's been the last couple of years, playing team, you know, seven, eight seed, right. something right. like that. And so I think some of that logic, which I didn't totally agree with, but I, I hear that. I heard that. It, it made some sense to me then. I think that in ways, fortunately, has kind of deteriorated a bit because Ant and Jaden have have grown. I don't think you necessarily need a max or super max player to keep Ant and Jaden in competitive, out of rebuilding zone, right? If you, certainly, if you just kept one right. of them, I, I think this right. team would be yeah, still you don't be where they're. What I would amend that to, because you don't have to say you don't need a. Mm-hmm. You could say you don't need two. Right. You don't need a guy yes. making fifty and a guy making forty three right. who don't necessarily fit the template here. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get rid of one of those impediments yeah. because. On the other hand, the things that would enable these two people, you don't have. Right. Assuming that Conley and, and Slomo both kick to the curb. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the more we talk about this, um, and yeah, the salary cap, you know, hopefully is a rationalization that will spur action. But, um, well, it's a new in- factor. It's a new factor. This was yes. not known when they made the Rudy Gobert trade. Yeah, and that's fine. That's fine. All I'm it's saying fine. is if you run this back, if you run this roster back the way it is now, um, then if you're Tim Connolly, you've got to be feeling like this is a, I'm a long way from Denver. You know, I mean, I am, uh, I am sticking myself in a spot that, provides a narrower window the opportunity not to grow the opportunity to need to make a desperate move or two um when this doesn't work perfectly i mean it, it's 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 it will if they don't make an adjustment that acknowledges the new times mm-hmm. i think they will be Failing at roster management, or at the very least, um, not doing why you hired. It's kind of like when they hired Tibbs to develop Cat and sure. Wiggins, and all of a sudden, oh, well, no, we're not going to do that. You <laughs> hire Conley to develop the roster. Well, no, we're not really going to develop the roster. Well, we're he would gonna... be, you, when you say putting his neck out there, it's like, he would be putting his neck out there and what he would be putting his neck out on is the bet that this team can be a contender next season in a run it back situation, dealing with next year's problems next year. And you know what? If I believed that this team more so is currently constructed, was ready to contend, I think you can justify tomorrow's problems tomorrow. But I don't. But I, or whatever, you could better, you could better justify it. Yeah. Where, where I'm at and where you're at is is lacking belief that this team is at a point where it is reasonable to put your neck out there because you're not just if you're, Tim Connolly if you're doing that you're not just putting your neck out there you're putting the organizations and the future of this team's neck out there the ant window out there to some extent and like Tim Connolly he has a different incentive structure in place here. If his puts his neck out there, it doesn't work, and the guillotine comes down, 
Well, he's still got a $40 million bag and you'd say, oh, we want to go in a new direction and you, you, you sign a new Pobo or whatever, if that's where you get to, like he's straight, you know, the organization would not be. And that's why I think this needs to be contextualized the the danger of running it back, which could has a possibility of working, but we need to point at how dangerous it is if you put yourself out there and it doesn't work. And maybe you just get unlucky again, whatever, injuries, however let's, it might be. That's dangerous. Let's talk about luck and perspective and context here for a minute. I don't have it, if you don't mind pulling up hmm. last yeah, last year's NBA regular season standings. I want to know how many more games the Wolves won than the Oklahoma City Thunder. I want to know how many more games the Wolves won than the Dallas Mavericks. I want to know how many more games the Wolves won than the New Orleans Pelicans. Two two more than Oklahoma City. Same record as New Orleans. Four more wins than Dallas who tanked their ass off. All right. So there's three teams. And then you look at, you know. Utah. uh, Five wins better than Utah. There you go. Nine wins better than Portland. All right, Portland, I don't worry about. I think that they <laughs> will clear Portland very easily. But the point I'm making is Zion comes back and plays a whole season maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas doesn't have a massive shit stain again, and they still have Luka. Uh, but more importantly, Oklahoma City's got a Shea that is better than an ant right now in the same you know, Nova arc. Yeah. They've got Chet coming back. They've got, they have pieces that are ready in place and they've got enormous draft capital and they have pretty much salary cap space to be flexible. Now, you know, if we're talking about competitive, you know, um, and then, you know, Denver and the the Lakers, who knows about the Lakers? Phoenix, who knows about Phoenix? There are some teams that could drop, but they're not going to drop. Um, it. Lakers, Warriors, Clippers, Suns, Kings, Grizzlies, Nuggets are the teams that finished above the Wolves this season in the standings. Right. And yeah, your point is, is how realistic is it that numerous of them fall behind the how, how realistic is it that and given the fact that NBA off seasons are always incredibly dynamic and what we're looking at now isn't what we're going to be looking at that's true but it's still very very hard for me unless the wolves are part of that dynamism to regard this as a team that can finish in the top four in the western conference next year yeah. which means host, host a first round playoff series um and I think if and when that doesn't happen, there's pressure. And that's and, when the salaries kick up. And that is when what you should have done now, this month, or this summer, or before the opening tip, uh, that's when something can be addressed, perhaps. You know, again... Um, I just don't see the way you're laying it out, especially in the salary cap conversation is very clarifying to me because if I did have Nas and Slomo and Conley in my thoughts moving forward, 
beyond next season, mm-hmm. then all right, you know, maybe I'll take my chances because you know there's some interesting pieces there, you right. know. But if a, a, a good third and perhaps like forty percent of those pieces have to be shorn, well, I'm sorry, you know. I mean, uh, I love Josh Minot, but uh, you know that's not going to be, you know, enough of a of a place filler. Besides the fact that he is probably a stretch four or at the very least extremely tall three that, you know, you you get into these things where, you know, then what are you going to run? You're going to run super size with the cat, Minot, Gobert, McDaniels at the two and Ann at the one. I mean, you know, what are we really talking about? Uh, I I did like that with Anderson instead of Minot. That was one of my favorites (laughs) during the season wanting to see that. Oh, yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. But that's more out of a necessity of like these are the options of it. I was more, or still kind of am. If this is if forced into this roster construction, I think the best option is to lean into the big and try and you know force that yeah. upon other people. Even though that wouldn't be the path I would normally have aimed at, given that these are the pieces you already have in place. Maybe they you know do need to do it. But they, again, these are just risks. You're, you're signing up for a handful of varying sized risks that if they come up sideways, if enough of them come up sideways, you find yourself 12 months from now in a completely, completely daunting financial situation that all but forces your hand to break it up. And, and it's why it makes sense to consider change now when Cat is at 36 versus 50, which we've talked about a million t- different times, or, you know, you need to, if it were me, if there is our nibbles out there for, for Rudy Gobert, if somebody's like, hey, you know, that didn't really work. What do you think about this? You need to at least be considering these sort of things because the bill is coming due in time and the merit of your roster at this point does not seem to justify that risk. And um, yeah, I just think that's daunting big picture when you talk about having a 21 year old superstar on your team that you need to not only build a roster for in the immediate, but for the next five, 10 years, like you, you can't, I don't know, you, you, you can't put yourself behind the anvil there. So I'm just saying, I'm just trying to point out in all of this, an anvil is coming. It's also complex. And there's a bunch of little different small pivots you can move. I can't say with a bullet that you can't do this or you can't do that. What I can say, and I, if you want to look at the numbers, I people listening, I tweeted out a little video where I was going through the spreadsheet on my computer. If you want to look at this stuff, I mean, these are the numbers. I'm not, I'm not making it up. These are the percentages of the cap. And yes, the cap can move a little bit and we're going to learn things over time. It's unambiguously a daunting situation, if not a prohibitive situation. And that's why I think it's responsible for the front office and organization and fan base and those of us in the media to be talking about this right now because it's coming. It is. It's it's coming. And on opening day of the 22-23 season. Last season? Yes. Okay. I think 
that we had kicked this around. I don't remember exactly how it came down, but I think we kind of were saying, all right, the best player on this roster right now is Rudy Gobert. <laughs> and then like yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, two A and two B are cat and ant somehow, depending on how it all shakes out. Yep. I saw um, that. And Jade McDaniel's distant fourth, perhaps even in a tussle with D'Lo, you know, where is that? And where is, you know, maybe Kyle Anderson looks like he'll be an important piece. Maybe he should be fourth mm -hmm. or whatever. But Cats being out didn't make Rudy Gobert worse. Rudy Gobert's performance made Rudy Gobert worse. And he fulfilled a lot of his defensive For sure. potential. But what we expected from 30-year-old Rudy Gobert was not able to be delivered. And again, that should give everyone pause when we're talking about running this back. Mm -hmm. Because the guys who are just now learning how to drink legally are the guys who are the future of this team in two years, not in four years, in two years, they are the guys that you are going to need. Um, and so, and, and guess what? They're also the guys who are relatively cheap compared to mm -hmm. the other people you have in place. So, you know, I mean, I've said this seven or eight different ways now. And at the end of the day, what it comes down to is I'll give all kinds of props. I will say, yep, there you go. Tim Conley and Chris Finch have always been smarter than me, never thought otherwise. Uh, and they saw how this could work when I just flat out didn't back mm -hmm. in the summer of 23. Uh, but I don't see how it can work in the summer of 23. Right. And uh, I'm happy to be shown the error of my thinking. Speaking of drinking uh, legally, I wanted to... Uh thank the people who that I have you on here, Britt, that came out and uh, watched game one of the finals with us at, at falling knife. Uh, I think that was, yeah, last Thursday, uh, a week ago. It's always, I know both of us always enjoy doing that, hanging out, uh, answering questions, all those sort of things. Uh, falling knives, obviously the, a, a sponsor of the show. And we love that when people, you know, come out to see us or also, you know, um, supporting that business. I just want to make sure uh, we we plug that and thank them for having us and thank those of you who are able to come and and remind you that even, you know, when Britt and I aren't there, if you're just, you know, it's Saturday afternoon and you're looking to go out to a brewery or, you know, go to food trucks, that sort of thing, that Falling Knife is uh, an option there, too, that we'd like to you know put on your radar, whether it's someplace, if, whether you've come and, and seen the tap room uh, with us or otherwise and. Britt, I know your 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 line here is always uh, pumping the beer. You're having the the hype beast. Well, and also, hazy you know, I gotta I gotta say that uh, it's a point of pride for me that I don't do quid pro quo. You know, I mean, if I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really I, I reserve the freedom <laughs> to you know say whoever is giving me money for anything they can get fucked if they do a certain thing. You know, I mean, if I don't have that in my bag of you know, being, I need that flexibility. Mm -hmm. I don't, payment does not equal a behavioral response with me. So what I will say 
is that those guys know hoops. They're, they are committed to doing what they do. Mm-hmm. They make a great beer. And uh, yeah, I get paid for going out there through you, but I go out there knowing I'm going to have a good time and knowing that uh, I'm going to be able to get intelligent questions from them before and after the question and answer session, knowing I'm going to get good beer and knowing that it's the right size room for us. For sure. Um, you know, we don't have to be in this huge hall. I don't want, you know, 500 people because you, <laughs> you, you lose the, you know, you lose the flavor. Yeah. And so, you know, and also, it was a really, really uh, enjoyable. They got cool that night. You know, we sat in front of the the truck, which I was dubious about the the uh, quality. <laughs> that, was sick, of the that was cool. Green, you know, that was kind of cool. And so, I guess all I'm saying is, uh, it's easy for me to say nice things about those guys, mm-hmm. uh, and to place it outside of an endorsement construct. I mean, I would. Uh, they are good guys. They host a good event. They feed me good free beer that I would pay for if I had to. <laughs> and that uh, it's just easy for me to say nice things about them uh, outside of any kind of financial relationship. Yeah. And as this is becoming the longest ad read of all time, the w- the one other thing I would plug <laughs> that is... An ad read. See, that's my uh, yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's my ad read. Not a damn ad read. Yeah. Uh, for, <laughs> yes. Uh, is What I think is cool, too, is when I first interacted with those guys and they talked about wanting to strike up some sort of partnership, part of it was them had recently, you know, bought and started a brewery and was like, you know, we've always wanted to have a place that is a wolves type of bar, right? And uh, kind of like a, a home base for the the wolves community, which, you know, same, like I, I you know, have, have wanted that too and didn't think it really existed in Minneapolis. So I think that's a cool, special thing kind of outside of the rest of it that obviously we didn't get the chance to really, we weren't there at when games were going on during the season because we were at Target Center. Right. But, you know, they did cultivate that group and it was a place that people went to throughout the season, you know, for all 82 games, you know, that they that they cultivated that, too. So Falling Knife is uh, important for monetary reasons for the podcast, but also (laughs) for uh, for, um, you know, for the relationships that we built there, too. So, again, end of end of longest ad read. We'll uh, we'll take a a final break here and then come back uh, with Britt to. Maybe we can wrap up some of the Wolves stuff. I have, I have one more Wolves-related question that ties into the finals. Uh, we'll hit that and then talk a little bit about where the finals are at through Game 3. So last break, we'll come back with Britt for a final segment. Today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app, and Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I went to a concert last week, and the whole process of knowing where to go to get the tickets It was stressful because the last time I went to a concert, it was a mess trying to get the tickets from the third party website onto my phone. But with the Game Time app, I felt confident even last minute that I purchased my tickets at a fair rate. And that's because of their best price guarantee. And then with the app, it was easy to just use my phone and get into the concert I paid for, no confusion. So if you're looking for tickets to a Lynx game, a Twins game, or a concert this summer, check out the Game Time app. You'll get images of your seats when you buy. So you know what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. 
and tickets are sent directly to your phone. So no need to dig through your emails and click on a link here or there. You can just snag tickets without stress with the GameTime app. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code DaneMore for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use the code DaneMore, all one word, for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Britt, um, I think we've, we've hit most of the Wolves-related things uh, I wanted to hit on. Um, one other thing, just looking at my notes here that I had of a, of a financial tweak that this team can have and specifically related to the lack of playmaking or point guarding that this team has going forward is I think Torian Prince is a pivot point on that too, um, making about $7.5 next year. I think that is a contract that you could potentially – trade for a similarly priced uh, point guard, though I know both of us, you know, like Torian and the value he's provided for the the last few years, honestly, seriously exceeded my expectations uh, from when they first got him in the, the Ricky Rubio trade. I think that's an option there. Or they can just not guarantee his contract, waive Prince, and have that $7.5 million and a little bit more financial flexibility to be able to kind of combo in a Nas Nikhil part of the mid-level, basically giving seven and a half million to go out and sign a point guard on on the market. I know in my times that I've talked about on the pod, this financial situation, I haven't hit on that part. That is 
it's not like a trap door into like, woo, <laughs> like the right, money right. is all better. But it is it is something that opens up uh, an alley uh, for this team. And we talk about the fact that you do have Kyle Anderson, another big on the books for next season. You have Josh Minot, who potentially could touch the rotation as a, a four next season. The roster is shaped in a way, just purely from a roster construction standpoint, that having Torian Prince as a combo type forward is less of value than a similarly valued player who plays point guard or or combo guard might be. So I wanted to I wanted to make sure to to throw that out there as a, a wrinkle in this in this financial situation. Do you have anything on, on Torian there? You want me to get to my next question? Yeah, you know, I I, I do. Um because sentiment does play a part in what we're doing, I understand that really good, strong front offices have to play the role of taking care of existing personnel and not screwing people over mm-hmm. because that does bounce back on them. At the same time, they do have to make dispassionate decisions that benefit their team long run. Uh, I would feel worse about entertaining these types of thoughts if I wasn't fairly certain that Torian Prince could get seven and a half million dollars from another situation. I like that. Uh, I get what you're and saying. And so I I think that uh if if Torian Prince was like he gave you great stuff and he played hurt and now because he played hurt mm. he's not going to be as good next year or something, then I would say, ah, you know, it's not worth it to me. Um I'm not cold-blooded enough to say screw it. But I think Torian Prince can get with another team for what he's I think he was underpaid, quite frankly. When I saw the contract and when I saw the way he was playing, I thought, wow, what a great deal for the Wolves. And so you're right. I mean, if money is going to be that hard to transfer in the current CBA, which it is, (laughs) and this is an option. Then and and seven and a half million dollars, perhaps alongside one of the two million dollar, you know, whatever we have, uh, you know, next year's equivalent of you mm-hmm. know filler, um, or maybe one though more. Quite frankly, sure. I'm always willing to throw overboard. Uh, so, but I mean, a Wendell Moore, Torian Prince combo. What would that get you? You know, in terms of a a guy who right now is maybe a solid point backup yep. point guard, mm-hmm. you know, maybe can become under Mike Connolly's tutelage for a year, uh, a good, you know, step in point guard. Um, that at least would mitigate the most glaring void that I see in this roster going forward. So, yeah, I, I think that that's something that should be explored. Um, while we miss Torian Prince, I got to think that McDaniels and Naw take care of it on the three end and Slomo and Cat take care of it on the four end. Right. So that combo forward is not a problem for this current roster. Mm-hmm. Um, point guard is. And so uh, if you can make an equal value trade for a combo forward in exchange for a point guard, I think that's smart roster mm-hmm. management. Yeah, I I do too. I think again it it fits into the whole, you know, running out a million different simulations right. of of how it goes out. I think there are 
simulations where that very much makes sense, whether it's trading TP or or waiving him to get the the financial flexibility. We should put that on our off-season bingo card of things that can or will uh, potentially happen. Um, to semi-switch over from Wolves to the finals, uh, actually, when we were at the brewery, uh, somebody asked me, who do you think is better right now between Michael Porter Jr. and and Jaden McDaniels? And this was this was while well, game one was was going on. And I was I, I was like, huh, I hadn't really thought about it that sort of way. And I know I'm a little bit higher on Porter Jr. than you are, which is aged terribly in games two and three of this series. But I, I kind of came down to it's close. Um, overall, uh-huh. about current value of the player. Obviously, Porter Jr. has a lot of injury stuff. He's older than Jaden. Like, Jaden is clearly a uh, better longer-term asset than than Porter Jr. is, in my opinion. But it, it's interesting in the context, I think, of the idea that they're close. Maybe Jaden is already better right now in the idea that Michael Porter Jr. is the third or fourth, probably fourth best player on a team that looks most likely uh, to win the NBA Finals. And I think that kind of ties into what we were talking about before of, okay, this core four group that the Wolves have um, that pushes them over the salary cap and luxury tax. Jaden is clearly number four on that list, and he's better than the number four on Denver, argue. I think both of us uh, would would argue there. Now, the the rub is that Denver's rest of their roster, they've put together accordingly, and it's not minimum contracts exclusively surrounding their four best players. But um, I think there's some solace to take in that, that Jaden McDaniels, the Wolves' fourth best player, is as good or maybe better than the fourth best player on the team that seems likely to to win the NBA championship this year. Is that interesting? Right. Does that interest you at all? Well, I mean, you're right. I, I have struggled to give Porter his due. and um, you're right about the last two games. He does not like to be physical, mm-hmm. and um, he's just not cut for this series. And physicality. Uh, watching what happens when Bruce Brown or Christian Brown come into the game. Um, put it this way: if Porter isn't making sixty percent of his shots. He's not helping. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what he does. Uh, Brown can give you most of uh, Bruce Brown can give you most of that. Christian Brown cannot, but Christian Brown is figuring out what he can give you in this series that he could not give you in the Phoenix series. But I would argue that Mike Malone would not really be that upset if. Michael Porter Jr. got in early foul trouble in game three or four. I mean, game four or five. Uh, uh, it's just, yes, he he is a luxury. If if he's hitting his shots, Denver really has a much better chance of winning because, um, for sure. They, well, I mean, that, that opens out that, opens up a lot for them. Yeah, that's what he does. That's what he does. His defense and the way the Heat play requires uh you cannot be a a limited inspired defender 
You have to be a multiple effort inspired defender. And he does not have multiple efforts on, on the defensive end. Uh, and therefore. Um, and Jaden Wood. Jaden Wood. And I think. Oh, Jayden, that, that, well, and, I mean, and, you know, I, I just said a thought point. experiment as you would cocky through that just to continue that con comparison. Just flip them. Have Jade McDaniels be in the Michael Porter Jr. role on Denver and have Michael Porter Jr. be in the role here. And it kind of works for the Wolves because you have Gobert and you have, you know, the three, whatever. But you also don't have, you know, I just think that he has a role that is much better defined on Denver. Mm -hmm. And I also think that McDaniels works even better on Denver because, right. you know, he's essentially a much more polished Christian Brown, you know, at the very least, you know. And made 39% uh, of his threes this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so anyway, um, the way that Miami plays uh, is – like all playoff series, you figure out what the weaknesses are and you pound it. And Miami doesn't have the brawn and just the, the, the ability to just bash you that, that Denver does. And Denver decided to do that in game in game three. Uh, the My favorite stat on that game is that... Points in the paint, 60 to 34. Uh, Denver was 30 for 48. Miami was 17 for 46. Hmm. So in other words, Denver tried two more points in the paint on shots and made 13 more shots. Yeah. Uh, you know. Well, that's, Miami, where, that's where Miami's come up. I mean, that was the end of the Boston series story, right? Because right. they couldn't finish in the lane against Boston's size and, and length and 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 what they decided to do, what Denver decided to do, was we're just going to we're going to turn you into dust in in the in the inside the painted area. Um, I think a fairly remarkable stat um, is that Denver was one for five from three point range in the second half. <laughs> they tried five threes. No player on the Denver Nuggets roster shot more than one three-pointer in the second half. Wow. Five different players shot one. Jokic made his. But other than that, I mean, uh, I think the others were Murray tried one. Porter Jr. may have tried one. But anyway, the rest of them all came up short. Yep. Uh, and Christian Brown hit the side of the backboard on that one. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And and made all seven of his other shots, yeah. which, by the way, were on cuts from the baseline and up the gut mm -hmm. and two on transition breakaways, yeah. one of which at least he initiated with a steal. Um, Christian Brown was not game plan for. So when he was in the half court and they had made... Miami concentrate on the Murray, Murray. Jokic two man. Well, they game. were up in coverage. It was it was that thing we talk about all the time with the Wolves. And I mean, Miami was kind of like, all right, like we're not trusting 
Michael Porter Jr. as a or we're not scared of Michael Porter Jr. as a weapon right now because he seems right. like he's in his head. KCP has been bad the last two games. So yeah. they they brought Bam up in coverage and they tried to take it out of Jamal Murray's hands. And when Brown got in there, he was doing a good job. That one and one late in the game that kind of sealed slip, it. He he slipped from the all corner. The time. He was seven for seven. Because that's his open two point range. Yeah. Every single one of them yeah. were right there in the paint. Mm-hmm. And uh that was the timing of his cuts. That was the fact that he finishes with a vengeance, you know. And, you know, that is something to that. If you know a guy is going to break your arm if you try to block his shot, there is just a millisecond of hesitation. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, you know, I, I've always loved him. I had to throw him under the bus after the Phoenix series because it just looked like he wasn't ready, you know, for the rigors of playoff basketball. He, you know, he wouldn't get a good whistle. He was over anxious. Um but he's found a rhythm, and uh, hey, it was huge last night. You know, it, it was it was a lot of fun to watch him. He is like one of these guys that like it looks like he's made out of rubber. You know, it's like uh, you know you could pick him up by the legs and swing him against the backboard, and he bounce right back <laughs> up and walk down the court. You know, he just seems like one of those guys that is fairly indestructible. And he gave Butler a little bit of fits when they needed to rest Aaron Gordon. I mean that. If that is continues to be true going forward, Butler was handling anybody. They were seeking out switches. They were seeking out switches to get Butler off um, of Gordon. And when Brown was on him, uh, it wasn't as quite as effective as Gordon, but it was a very good facsimile. And that, if you can give Gordon some minutes without Jokic on the floor. So, I mean, with Jokic on the floor so that he can come in and give you everything without Jokic on the floor. Um, it may mean messing with your rotation a little because Christian Brown is often coming in on those non-Jokic minutes too. Right. On the other hand, he and Jokic had a little thing going, you know? Well, they he just kind of scaled up. down Porter is, and put in Brown. Yeah. Fine with me, man. You know, but he assisted. He assisted on one of Jokic's buckets, and Jokic assisted on, I think, on three of his. Mm. Uh, and by the way, Jokic and Murray assisted on five of each other's baskets apiece. Wow! So I mean, that's just they each had you know over it, that. Well, Murray had ten assists. I think Jokic had twelve or something. But five of them apiece. I mean, yeah. On the other hand. You know what I said at Falling Knife. I still believe it. Um, I think it's, I called Denver in five or six, and that's looking smart at the moment. But there is a part of me that says I'm going to kick myself when Miami right. wins in seven. Just because Miami, Miami is is tough, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. They, they might find a way to steal another one, you know. And then it's best two out of three. And you never know, you know. I I thought their reliance on Jimmy Butler was way overblown the other night. Uh, I thought, I don't know why Spo decided that punishing them with Butler was better than their ball movement to the open three guy. But it took, and, and some terrible officiating took Gabe Vincent out of that game. But Vincent, oh yeah, uh, Caleb Martin, and 
uh, Duncan Robinson, I think it was it. Let me see if I had wrote it down. Um, I think Britt with the with the Butler point of Struce. It was Struce. Struce, Vincent, okay. and Martin were scoreless in that third quarter. Mm. I mean, that's their time. Right. You know? Go ahead. Well, I was. I think it was a good point with the Christian Brown being another option outside of Gordon on Butler. I think like a lot has been made of you know Jimmy kind of slowing down over the course of the playoffs and people point to the ankle and we're like, we don't know exactly what's going on with that. And I, I don't know obviously where he's at from a physical standpoint, but from what we've seen, if you go through the, the playoffs and the path that Miami has taken, Jimmy has also slowed down when teams have found ways to guard him with multiple different players being able to be his primary defender. When that happens, as Boston figured out in time, it slowed Jimmy down, right? In the right. in the conference finals in ways that New York and Milwaukee did not find, you know, uh, Derek White, uh, you know, going down the, the Tatum, the, those sort yep. of things. Yep. And Gordon, and obviously he's he's been playing a lot and, and has found a way to not be a, an issue offensively. So he's been able to guard Jimmy for the majority of the time. But I, I thought that last night, too, while being able to put Christian Brown on him or Bruce Brown at, at times, too, right. having multiple defenders hurts Jimmy because what Jimmy is really looking for is that prodding, right? Prodding for a switch and then getting that switch and try to score over that person or the defense overreacting to the fact that, shoot, we have somebody who's guarding Jimmy that we know Jimmy can score on and we're collapsing in and that's how Jimmy's finding Struce, Vincent, Robinson all around the floor. So that that is big and I think it's proven out throughout the playoffs that if you have multiple different players who can guard Jimmy, Jimmy's value drops some. Obviously, he's still a yes, force right. uh, in, in his own right, but Brown didn't only shoot seven for eight from the field. Him and kind of that whole bench group found a way to not be a sore spot that Jimmy could could pick at in ways that he could early in the playoffs. And what bothered me last night about Miami's game plan is they decided that the dynamic had to be Butler initiates and then the three pointers come through. That's not necessarily been their template when they've been going. They shoot from outside and then get Butler involved, having established space uh, with these other people. And I mean, Butler, I think, had 20, you know, 15 shots in the first half or something. Uh, I, you know, and I agree that Butler in the first quarter getting like eight to 10 on mid range, that's great. But oftentimes that's already, that's already starting to be the dynamic that, you know, you've got those guys open. And the fact that, um, you know, Miami, uh, the, in the the second half, I will tell you who wore down was Bam. You know, you guard Jokic over and over and over again. Bam was two for nine, and up second. in coverage. It's it's yeah. it's it's the up in right, coverage right. too, which again we know. I mean, yeah. that's what they were trying to take two Jamal. Two different kinds of sapping. I mean, that, know, that on the one hand you're moving so around, hard. on the other hand you get beat to death. I, I mean, when when they started, and granted Jamal was having an awesome game, so maybe it kind of forced their hand, but. I'm seeing Bam come up there to actually, if people, there's Michael Pena wrote a great piece on this um, that's up on the the ringer today if you want to look at it. But basically, Jamal Murray's 
shot-making greatness forced Miami to need to bring Bam up in coverage and be showing or sliding Murray to the side while also needing to get back and, you know, defending Jokic on the pop or roll. And, I mean, that's too much. That's that's too much. I mean, it, there might not be a better player in the league to be able to do all that, but it, it it's too much, particularly if Murray is is hitting shots at, at the level he is, and then Jokic has just a per, been a permanent bucket for about a month now. Like, right. I, I thought that played a role in Bam not being what he was in game two when Miami dominated that game. I think fatigue is going to be more and more of a factor, especially now this game four is a two-night, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. 48-hour turnaround rather than 72 hours, which has been the pr- previous two. Yeah, good point. Uh, well, at least, you know, maybe not for Miami. I think it was only 48 hours for Miami. But the point being that uh, even though Miami is theoretically a deeper team than Denver, um, Denver has the erosion capability that Miami does not have. Miami will grind you down in terms of uh, hounding you on the perimeter and turning you over and playing good fundamentals. They will beat you with accountability and fundamentals. Mm. But, um, and as good as, you know, Jimmy is no slouch at, you know, doing the three bang and then up fake, up and under McHale move. I mean, that's Jimmy's whole deal is banging with you to the point where you want to bang back. And then when you look Mm -hmm. like you're going to be able to bang back because he's fading, all of a sudden he pretends to fade and then steps under Mm -hmm. or whatever. He also does that spin move and banks it off the glass. The point being is physical contact gets his thing in rhythm and it's laborious process. He's holding the ball a lot and He's waiting for people to come. But that happened way too often last night. And it did not allow your three-point shooters to get in a groove. And if Miami is not making threes, I can safely say this. If Miami is not making threes, they will not win. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Denver's offense is too efficient. And Miami needs the efficiency of three-pointers to to, you know, because they're not going to get to the line like they did against other teams. Uh, it's so, you know, it's like it's, a, it's grinding. What Miami did in game two was not only grind them down physically, but kind of ground them down in the half court offensively, where Jimmy right. was doing that, that prodding and, and finding his way. They would just kind of run that side pick and roll with Jimmy. And he isn't even going into that necessarily looking to be a scorer. He's like, okay, if I did get the switch and I'm at eight feet, I'll go one-on-one against this guy. But it's it's the long, gradual prod of, okay, Bam's going to roll through here. I'll see if I can hit him there. If the the guy defending the corner comes over to help while I'm prodding, then I got this guy in the corner. I mean, Jimmy is looking for the other four pieces, a really strong roller and or three shooters surrounding him right. there. And... If that that to me is is how Miami wins any individual game in this, they physically grind them down in the half court offensively. They pick at the same things over and over, and Jimmy picks that apart uh, him himself. And 
I want to give all kinds of credit to Jimmy Butler. I think he's absolutely vital to what Miami does. But I would also add that they have the capability to rain hellfire from deep without yeah. Jimmy. I mean, Duncan Robinson just decided to go off. <laughs> Max Struess could go off. Yeah. Caleb Martin could go off. Um, Gabe Vincent could go off. I mean, there's four guys on that team that if they get in a groove, whew, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's like uh, a cloning of Murray. The clone is not as strong as the original, but if you have four <laughs> of them and they're yeah, yeah. cloned, you know, that's still pretty damn good, you know, to be able to have guys, all right, here's the open back. And Miami gets to the point where they throw to the spot anyway because everybody is spotting up mm-hmm. above the breaker in the corner at certain times. If somebody's in a driving kick mode, their offense obviously sends the other guys to their spots. Right. And they're ready. And Maybe. not having Vincent have a good game, having Caleb Martin, you know, started strong. But none of them got into the rhythm that Butler should have provided them by, uh, you know, risking the pass anyway and getting yourself. Now, one person he did find all the time, and it worked for two shots, and then it did not work for like three straight, was Kevin Love. Right. For some reason, Butler was finding Kevin Love. I wanted him to find, you know, the little dude. Because they were putting Murray on him, and he was getting yeah. the switch. Right. And then, right. you know, Murray was haphazardly guarding Love, looking for that switch onto Jimmy. And then Love was just kind of open there. So he's kind of he made a, a couple and then he did. Yeah. You know, fifth and... appendage to that idea of yours. Tyler Hero, too. That's another one. Another <laughs> clone to throw. I don't want him, man. I worry about what his juju. But if might, Gabe Vincent, yeah. if, if that's the type of game Gabe Vincent is having or right. or or like if I Max Juice is it, it's having another one of those. Yeah. In there yes. as a an fifth, option, a fifth Murray. <laughs> they they need it. Remember remember when Gabe Vincent rolled his ankle? Like it, I know, I know, I know. They You're needed right. they right. needed hero in that game, and so I think that is actually a important extra gun to have here too, as it provides a little bit more of I don't know some netting um, for them to you know not fall down too far. I know you're not a hero guy, but it, in a role, particularly a, right. a bench type of role, I think. That could provide, you know, and and now Hero. Would Here's what worries me about Hero. All right, what worries me about Hero Last is thing. that Vincent Martin and Struess, Struess a little bit less so than Vincent and Martin, but they look for somebody to take a better shot if they need to. Struess occasionally will get a little bit blinders on and take the shot. Hero does it a lot. If the ball goes to Hero semi-open from the three, he is not passing to a wide-open guy at the three. He is yeah. chucking. And I worry about that with all the rust he's got and the fact he's probably still not 100%. Sure. I, wor- I worry that uh, an infatuation with the concept of Tyler Hero screws Miami. It, it can't, be, somebody it can't be an infatuation. for I'm yeah. rooting for a seven-game series, right. and that means I'm usually rooting for Miami. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the cliche, right? Like, use them to an extent, bench them if it's not there. Um, right. I, easier said than done. E- easier said than done. I just think that weapon is worth having in your holster. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. For because who knows, he may he may go crazy. 
Sure. It's, it's definitely uh, And that's what Miami needs, a couple of guys to go crazy. And then mm-hmm. for Jimmy to go, okay, they're going crazy. Now what I can do is play my little game. Get to the line. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are you still at, like, Denver in five or six? Or where are you at with this series? I'm at Denver in six with uh, this kind of looking myself in the mirror and saying, I told you so if Miami wins in seven. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was kind of I guess I just kind of remain about a game ahead of you in it. Um, I, I I picked them in in five. I I do game two was big for me and seeing pathways as we just talked about for Miami. I do see pathways for Miami to grind them down and and win another one of those games. I think that has to happen on, on Friday in in game four because. If Denver's offense does again overwhelm and they're doing their scoring one point two points per possession, like that's and they you know they win game four and you're not able to counter that, then you go back to to Denver for game five. So I'm kind of looking at it as, what do I think about game four? I would give Denver a a slight edge in that, and if I'm giving Denver a slight edge in that. Then I'm picking it to right. be three one to go back to Denver for Game Five. So I would, if I had to pick one, I I would say I would say Denver in five in this. I I think Miami has answers. You need a lot of answers, I think, to beat this this Denver team is the way over, way oversimplified. Uh, and answer. I mean, Jokic may have had his best game of the playoffs the other night, just simply because uh, his. I mean, he I'm, had I'm that really in- glad that none of us have said a 30, 20, 10 triple double because I like went on Twitter last night after the game. I'm like, okay, guys, like I get it. Yes, first 30, 20. I mean, it's so what? I mean, I, I'm the, just the like, point being is, yeah, his defense actually was really pretty good. I, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's a, and, and he's a his, fucking wild card. Like, and the ability of, the Heat don't really have anything for him other than gang, you know, hoping that they don't get a whistle because they played three guys on him physically as he goes to spin for shot. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, if he gets that shot off with a clear look, 80% of the time it's going in. And that, you know, Van Gundy and the others have, have commented, rightfully so, the guy has phenomenal touch. And that the one best. play they ran it in slow motion where it didn't look like it should go in, he spun the motherfucking ball. He he actually, on his shot, spun that ball so that as it hit the right rim, it was spinning left and went in the basket. I it's mean, like pool or something. I, I, I it, yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He, he, I mean, he's... I'm, I'm surprised when he's like rumbling down the lane... <laughs> When he misses it, and they're tough shots, but it's like they all catch the rim, and they all like they all go in. It's except that running down the lane floater always swishes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It's like I, I feel like he only misses. This is obviously hyperbole, but I feel like he only misses when he's tired. Yeah, or when like they, end they of quarters, up. like yeah. yeah it, it, or it, something in his mind is going, well, that's a foul. And maybe yeah, it, yeah. it detracts from his mm-hmm. mind just a little bit or something. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a good point. It's but yeah, it is, it is amazing what he does. And 
That's another reason why I did think that Porter Jr. had such a bad game the other night. Because he wasn't even making himself available, it seems. So why couldn't he have done what Christian Brown did? You know? Well, um, he's in his head, too. I mean, that yeah, that's... I know, uh, I know. Yeah. Th- this is kind of a... Last thing. Who is the last player that you remember for a playoffs being this dominant? I mean, Giannis, I guess. Maybe when they won it in 2020. Was uh, very good. Um, you might say Steph last year. I mean, every year there does seem to be a guy who emerges. But doesn't it feel right. like Jokic I mean, is better than Steph last year? I, I, I and, never really thought and, or and looked and at because it. Because you had Wiggins and Green, uh, yeah. you know, also had great series last year. It's hard to say because um, it depends on the matchups. With Jokic, though, I agree that... Uh, well, as somebody who was among the minority that thought that he was an MVP over Embiid mm-hmm. for the regular season, uh, which I haven't said a lot because, you know, with all the ramifications of that statement. Um, but I actually think that Jokic was the best player in the NBA in the regular season this year. And I think he's been so validating in what he's done against Three very different opponents, yeah, or four very very different opponents. And don't forget um, the wolves. Yeah, you know, <laughs> right. Don't forget the wolves. So it's just the, the guy. He's going to have his validation probably. Uh, the city of Denver and his teammates. I mean, the whole thing is is a feel good story. Perhaps the best thing about him is how. Uh, Unquote worthy he is afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's just you can just tell that you know, ah, you know, I'm really not into that stuff. You know, I don't need to endorse any products. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. You know, right. you win some, you lose some, is what he said after the second one, <laughs> after the first, the second game loss. You know, uh, yeah. or he'll often say, "Yeah, well, they're a really good team." You know, I, mm-hmm. I can see. You know, we, we have to play better or something. Right. But it's always this. uh it's not that he's not Wally Zerbiak. He's not basically you pull a string and he gives you like one of three canned answers. But mostly it isn't. Uh, it's just the simple truth, not gussied up at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, not yeah. not even not, not even a personal touch to it. It's like it's an aphorism for the game. It happens to be the right aphorism. And he's not limited to three or four. He can go as high as a dozen. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is, is what, you know, he would say. Or yeah. I've got to do better, or I've got to do this. Or, but I, I love the low-key, the fact that he is like this phenomenal player who, if he chose to get into his thought process with you, would unlock, like, vistas, and instead says, ah, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> it's, yeah, he he, he totally... It, has been the main character of the playoffs yet has had so few lines in the movie script or whatever, however that <laughs> right, uh, right. analogy works. But I, I mean, I think it's when I've sat down to watch these games, it like, it takes the first special Jokic play that I'm, and then I'm like, I really feel like I'm watching something that I'm going to remember in my 
whenever right. I'm looking back on this five, 10 years down the line of who and what he was. And it, it opens up my mind to the idea that I don't think this is going to be a flash in the pan, like Dirk of Dallas. You know, I, I, right. Right. It, it's a lot to say. It's a lot to say in the NBA to anticipate that a team is going to be back at this level uh, a year from now or two years from now. And I really do feel like this Denver team led by this level of play from Nicole Jokic is going to be. And, and for, I think from me, that's like the, that's the highest praise I can give because it's not an individual performance. It's, it's what you are doing to contribute to team dominance that makes you believe that this could be a Spurs type thing. And that, that's just one of my favorite teams of all time or that I admired uh, so much. And I, right. th- I think this Denver team is shaping up to at least give the shades of the idea that that's what this uh, could be, could be going forward. Any, any parting thoughts before we cut this well, off? Just, I, I think that the one reason that I did um, think that Jokic was an MVP, the, the one fact regular season MVP that stuck in my mind that somebody tweeted out like three quarters of the way or four fifths of the way through the season Denver was like twenty-two and zero when he had a triple double. I remember that. Or yeah. may, maybe maybe it's only twelve and zero. I can't. I don't know. No, how I many think it was twenty-four and zero. I think was I, it? I, okay. I remember, I remember right. us talking about that at dinner one time at Target Center. Yeah. I mean, he the the, the team is undefeated <laughs> when he has a complete game, and they're zero and three in the playoffs when he scores more than forty points. <laughs> and so, if you think about it. The best thing about Jokic is he makes everybody around him better. He's even better at that than he is at one individual skill. Right. I mean, that is what you cherish. That actually is always the argument for Giannis going forward. Look at what he does for the team, you know. Uh, Look at how he sews everything together for the Bucs. And that's why the rest of the league should fear those two for the next five years. Like yeah. deeply fear them because yeah. it's not just about shutting them down. It's not right. No, uh, and it is. And it's also, if you are Michael Porter Jr., you have to get out of your own ass and begin to say, Hey, I'm playing with a guy. If I just relax, I'm going to have some things on a platter right. in the next game. Just let me do it. You mm-hmm. know, and I got to think, you know, Bruce Brown is talk to Bruce Brown about playing with KD versus playing with Jokic sometime. I bet you know that would be an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, so the point being is, if you are stepping on the court with Nikola Jokic, uh, you are ready. Think of all the times that Murray is in that two-man game with Jokic, and think of all the times if it were anybody else how less efficient that would be, you know, as good as Murray is. And I think Murray is extremely good. Mm -hmm. uh, And Jokic isn't the one burying those shots that Jokic feeds him. But at the same time, if you're playing with Jokic and you're a a rhythm shooter like Murray, you also get your rhythm and your mind right because Jokic is on the floor with you. Absolutely. And that goes right down the roster, you know, which is why I give Aaron Gordon all kinds of credit because Aaron Gordon is the guy 
that spells Jokic. Yep. The, the guy who needs to play more of his minutes without the godhead mm-hmm. beside him than anybody on that team. So, you know. It's, yeah, uh, uh, Tim Duncan is the best compare. I mean, very different players in their own right, right. but the ethos yeah. is. If Tim is, Duncan could get 40. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Um, well, Brett, uh, I don't know if we'll have uh, the NBA final still going on by by next Thursday, but we'll come back and uh, talk again, maybe wrap up what the, the finals were, and then we got the the draft the draft the second rounders yeah right. i need to actually familiarize myself with the the name every time i'd like sit down to start looking at any of that stuff i just start looking at the top 10 picks because i'm like i can't like look into the 50s and like not know the difference between the thompson twins or whatever i I don't know so it's uh the draft process has been hard for me to really uh sink my teeth into but We'll have plenty of things uh, to talk about. And for listeners, I'm actually going to have John Krasinski on next week on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Um, John and I were were texting and just kind of talking a month out, reflecting uh, on the season. And we decided that might be a good thing to turn into a podcast. So John's going to come on uh, next Tuesday. So we'll have two episodes next week, Tuesday with John and then Thursday uh, with Britt, if we can. We'll figure that out around the finals, but um, but yeah, we're we're still enjoying doing these pods here while we still have basketball to talk about, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what comes next. Obviously, if there's any sort of wolves breaking news, I'll hop in with something else there too. But uh, until Tuesday uh, with John, uh, he's Britt. Follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA. Uh, until then, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts So you can quickly and easily find what you need Plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.